I just want to establish a wording that is found in the scripture that we use today. And there are many more scriptures that attend to this concept, but we'll present just two. Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful, one body. Ephesians 4.4, 4. Right after, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, above all, and through all, and in you all. Verse 4, There is one body, and one spirit, even as ye are called, and one hope of your calling. And I want to present to you the body of Jesus Christ. We are the body of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not in your handout, but you can write if you would like. The kingdom is the overarching establishment of the spirit. And within the kingdom resides local churches, regional works, nations, languages, and peoples. The church is not in competition with the kingdom, no more than a hospital is in competition with the Constitution of the United States. Are you with me? (laughs) All right, we'll work on that for a second. So we have a nation with a constitution that allows us the freedom, but it also gives us certain directives And there is a kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, we all reside. And there are multiple ministries within that kingdom. That's right. So, when we talk about the church, sometimes we're talking about the local church. And sometimes we're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about the body of Christ. We're talking about the church throughout all the ages. Some living, some have passed, but they were in and are in the body of Jesus Christ. We get to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ. In this particular narrative, we have another thought that attends to the early church. And the early church had locations. In fact, when you, when you get to the book of Revelation, you can find churches, seven churches of Asia. And, of course, there were more churches than that. And the churches began in Jerusalem, but then they quickly spread out. And I won't labor on this long, but the persecution that happened in Jerusalem was like a big foot on an ant farm. It smashed it down, and all of the, of the people in Jerusalem had to scatter. This was really the design of God. Had they had perfect peace in Jerusalem, they would not have had revival in Antioch. The Lord wanted us to take dominion. He did not want us to cocoon ourselves up in a building or in a location without spreading out. This was the problem with Babylon. Uh, um, I'm sorry, the Tower of Babel. They were all convening in one place. They were not spreading out. And so he confused their language so that they would spread out. They were in disobedience to him. I'll come back to that. So... Some folks get hung up on location. I'm, I'm careful not to think that we should not have a building because there's a push against what people call organized religion. <laughs> I'm a weary with hearing about organized religion as if it's something bad. What would you like us to have? Disorganized religion? I've been in places where it was disorganized religion. Who's going to speak? I don't know. Yes, we have to have organization. In fact, the Lord said, let everything, the Bible says, let everything done be done decently and in order. I think what they mean is traditional concepts that remove the leading of the Spirit. That's not what we mean. So, buildings are important. And just because the early church did not have a building doesn't mean that we should not have a building. The early church also didn't have sound systems, air conditioning, or padded seats. But praise God. Now, if you'd like to go back to that, we could save ourselves a lot of money by turning off the air conditioning. Uh-huh. Amen. And, the, and, and we could just fan ourselves. They did have locations, but it took them a couple hundred years before they had locations. 
Before they had the central location, Romans 6.16.5, it might be in your handout. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Well, there's a church in a house. That was a location. And they, they greeted the church that was in the house. So in that particular instance, it was the body of Jesus Christ that was meeting. Um, you know, I'm, I would like to have a handout, actually. That might be nice if, 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 if I could have... Thank you, Brother Danny. If you'll give me a handout... Oh, thank you. Thank you. Because I think that I put some extra things on there for you, for everybody. Thank you. Oh, praise God. Now I can read all the scriptures. So, Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. These are the locations that the early church, the immediate early church in Jerusalem, this is where they convened. Uh, Romans 16.5, likewise greet the church that's in their house. So the, these are the locations of the early church. Now I, I wanted to cover that because it's critical that you understand where you put your emphasis. It's not all in this place, but it is not removed completely from this place. And I would submit to you, we ought to take advantage of the season that we have to convene in this house. Because there could be a time when, when there is a change. There is a climate change. It's not a weather change. It's a spirit change. And I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to be the prog, prognosticator of doom. I just want you to know, if we got shut down, we wouldn't be the first religious group to be shut down in the world and world history. You, and there's some parts of the world you cannot have a church unless it's government-sponsored churches. Go check out Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Armenians. Go, go check out what it takes to have a church in Germany today. Or even the property that must be, must be purchased. So we have this idea that we, that we can come and go. We ought to take advantage of it, and I say that often. Because as the world is moving in the direction that it's moving, we are not guaranteed the opportunity to come. Now, I'm, I'm talking about the church body a little bit here, and, and this is important, especially for those who are, are sort of new to this particular body. And it's a good night to be in this Bible study. Let me just present to you three facets. Now, years ago, we used to fill in the blanks, and, and, uh, and then I would skip a blank, and it would bother a quarter of the people. So I have filled in all of your blanks for you. And I apologize for those of you who would like to go back to fill in the blanks and then guess what I was going to say. However, there was a place for you to write. I'm just going to present a few facets of this church and of the church body um, and how, how we see this, this church. Let me just tell everyone, we want... We want all of the city and everyone to come to new life. There are no requirements to walk into this building. We want people to come to new life. Now, there's another side of that coin. And I would say, I believe it's a privilege to come to new life. Okay. There is an endeavor. It's a spiritual endeavor. It's not something that's completely conquered. It's not something that you just wake up one day and... You've passed all the tests and you've graduated. Every day I work on being a godly husband, a spiritual father. And it takes a lot of work. Some days are better than others. Are you ready to write something down? I do not teach or preach what I have perfected. I present what I'm working on. I know that's tough for some of you when I relay that because you, you're thinking maybe I've got it all together. That's not true. And I'm working on something and I work on it every day. The spiritual aspect of the church is critical. In fact, I submit that it is the most important factor of any church if it is not, then that place is nothing more than a community center where people come, pay dues, and find out where they're going to eat afterwards. 
spiritually minded people always provide something that a church is in need of. Because when we're thinking after the Spirit, we then can see the vision and plan that God has for it. This doesn't mean that we're equipped with all things, of course. Um, it just means that we're seeking the voice and the direction of God. But there are oppositions, and there is a dark side, those who are not spiritually minded, and some of us who have to work on being spiritually minded, our flesh can get in the way. The first opposition is carnality. People are just carnal. And I think as the world continues, people are becoming more and more carnal. They proclaim or profess Christ, but they do not have a relationship with him. Carnality is, is an affliction of every person. Here's Romans chapter 8. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Verse 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The carnal-minded person is, is in opposition to the spiritually-minded person. And a carnally-minded person always resists the vision. So if God provides a vision or a prophetic word, the carnal mind calls that opinions. They'll say, oh, that's just an opinion. And people are very quick to call out what they think are opinions. They come from a subjective standpoint or subjectivism. Oh, I have to be careful how I, I don't want to get down this road too much, but mass consciousness is when the conglomerate of people believe a certain thought or adopt a particular philosophy. And mass consciousness then moved something almost like an overflowing river that sweeps up every stationary object in its way, whether it wants to be swept up or not. We are in this realm of mass consciousness where you are now commanded to think a certain way. You are, you are ostracized if you don't, and now it has become in opposition to the word of God. So I would just say carnality is in direct opposition to spiritually minded people because a spiritual mind is not one that always thinks that personal gain is a blessing from God. He also provides retraction. He also provides suffering. And we know that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. A spiritual minded person knows sometimes we're going to go through trouble because that's how we get to the other side. The carnal mind thinks, I must have done something wrong, or they must have done something wrong. That's why they're having trouble. That's not always the case. <laughs> how are we doing? We just started the Bible study. We just started it. <laughs> Let her be self-serving. There's a self-serving spirit that's afflicting us. Each of you... Paul write, wrote, wrote, he writes to the church at Philippi, should, not, should look not only on your own interests, but also to the interests of others. When, you're, when you serve yourself all the time, it's hard to consider the needs of other people. This is what the body ought to do. We ought to look around and consider the needs of other people. That's in opposition to the spiritual endeavor. The spiritual endeavor looks to the needs of other people. The personal endeavor looks to its own or their own needs. Us for no more. If you're new to the church, um, then greet someone and welcome them to church. We have a few people who greet and they are greeting people that, uh, that may have been around for a long time. If someone greets you and they're new and you've been around for a long time, thank them for greeting you. If they say, we're so glad you're here today, you say, I'm so glad I'm here today. That's important. We greet and love one another in the, in the body. And we serve, not because, not because it serves us or because we, we feel good about it. I'll get to that. I, I don't want to skip ahead. We serve because it, it is helping the body. The third opposition is humanism. 
And the Bible will speak against humanism, but in a very different way than maybe postmodern thought might present it. And in the book of Romans, Paul writes, because that when, we, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Humanism. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Now, in our days, that's many other things. It's not just a carved idol. That's a boat, a car, a, a career, money, some celebrity. They, they became fools in doing that. And to birds, four-footed beasts, creeping things, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. This is sexual perversions, too. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. That is the glorification that's happening today. It, you can see it in every advertisement. We are worshiping the creature more than the creator. Humanism. Humanistic ideas. Anyone who speaks publicly in a religious form but doesn't pray, they're only speaking from a humanistic thought or concept. Because this is a spiritual endeavor. And humanism is me telling you what I think. Spiritual endeavors is what God is speaking through me or through whoever, whoever graces the pulpit. And finally, there's this divisive spirit. It's a human spirit. It's not demonic spirits. We love to blame the devil on a lot of things. People love to blame the devil. He has gotten a lot of credit for things he never did. I want to present to you the difference. It's not on your paper, but I'm presenting you the difference between the lion and the wolf. Satan is depicted as the lion in the Bible, but he's never depicted as the wolf. The, the roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The wolf is the spirit of a, of a divisive individual. Take heed therefore unto yourselves, to all the flock. This is, this is to the pastors, to the leaders over the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers, to feed the church of God, that's the body, which he hath purchased with his own blood. That's ownership. That means all of you pastors, under shepherds, leaders, ministers, feed the church. I own it, you feed it. I'll give you the food, I'll provide the bread, you provide the service. And then Paul said, for I know this, that after my departing, when I leave here, grievous wolves will enter in. There's going to be a moment when divisive spirits are going to enter in. And in every church that endeavors to have spiritual unity, there will be grievous wolves. Men or women, or both, who want, who want to dominate other people and devour. That's why I say this to you, because... We have to be attentive and aware. There is a demonic spirit and then there is a human spirit. And there's many different types of human spirits that exist just like there are multiple different types of demonic spirits. Spirits of perversions, spirits of lying. But in this particular realm, in the human spirit, it is always to divide and to, and to disrupt the spiritual endeavor of the body of Jesus Christ. And there are wolves that enter in every spiritual church to try to interrupt us. This has been happening a long time. This is not unique to us. It's happened for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. So the first facet of New Life Fellowship as a body of Jesus Christ in this local area, we are not the totality of the church. We are in the kingdom. We are, we are, we are the church and we are part of the global church. Our endeavor is to be a spiritual church. That does not mean that our finances need to be out of order. It does not mean that we don't have an order of service. That does not mean that we don't have a start and end time. In fact, it seems to me that if, you're, if your human body functions in perfect order with varying degrees of fluctuation, uh, in fact, minimal degrees of temperature fluctuation, and it's fitly framed together and our anatomies are made in such an incredible way with six or seven billion brain cells, all of which do not replenish and we need all of them. The, the church body also 
has a function and it should function the right way. And it has to, we, we need to pay attention to this because God gave us a brain. He gave us, he gave us an, an acute, acute, there is a cognitive reasoning and it's important. Just as people would blame things on the devil, a church that is not organized blames things on God. Well, if God wanted us to have this, he would give it to us. No, no, no. We sacrifice to give it. We care for it. We provide for it. It's the lazy person who doesn't work and think God's going to do the work. This is not true. So we, are, we, are, we want to have a spiritually minded church and to do that we have to be spiritually minded to think what would God want us to do what what is the leading of the Holy Spirit what does God where is God leading us in this and sometimes we can gather everything and then the Lord says just wait a second stand still we can have all of our plans and then God can just say hold on one moment you'll hear more about that Sunday so I want I want you to know that that no matter what we do as a church our endeavor is to be a spiritually minded church. This is our endeavor. And if you're new to the church or if you watch online, there may be times, and there has been many times, we'll just pause and we'll interrupt everything because one person is seeking for a healing or deliverance or help. And so at that point, all of the spiritually minded people ought to be praying. Please don't get bored. Because if I see that you get bored, it disheartens me. Because I realize we've got someone in need and we need to all pause. We didn't come for a show. We didn't come to get out. We didn't come into church so we could leave. We're not clocking in and clocking out. That's not how we operate here. When we, I don't want to get preachery here, but I feel like it. When we come here, we need a move of the Holy Ghost. Not a design so that we can come in and get out and appease our guilt. We're not here to appease our guilt. We're here to have a move of the Holy Spirit. Because people walk in and they need to be healed and saved and delivered and helped. Sometimes it's not even about you or me. It's about one person. Can you imagine that God would design an entire Sunday just for one person? Would it be okay if just Sunday only one person was redeemed? Only one. Would it be okay? You mean all that effort and all your energy and all your stuff that you came, it, it, didn't, it was for somebody. This is the spiritually minded mature church. And I would just say if we did that 52 times a year, we'd have 52 people redeemed. How about that? Let's have, and you know what? You don't know it, but the next person could be your friend, your neighbor, your loved one, your, your son, your daughter, your dad, your aunt. It could be someone you know. It could be me. Praise God, the pastor got saved. I'm working on it. So, so this is the design of the church. For us to think, and we have to rearrange, and I keep saying this, rearrange our thinking so that when we move together as a body, it, whether it's in this building or in a home, whether it's in Wednesday night Bible study or in a life group, we walk in with an expectation that God is going to speak. So that we don't condition ourselves based upon the location. The location is just a place where the body convenes. It could be 10, it could be 1,000, it could be 400, it could be 8. But where two or three agree we think that's so wonderful two or three agree in my name I'll be in the midst get two or three people to agree get five get 50 to agree man I'll tell you what I'll tell you when this place is going to erupt when we all come in here and we agree we agree we're going to have a move of God. We agree it's not about us. We agree there's going to be a move of the spirit. We agree someone's going to be saved. Because to be spiritually minded means we have to, we have to, we have to subdue the flesh and not be carnally minded and not be, we're, we're not politically minded. I'm not talking about world politics, I'm talking about church politics. <laughs> There's no divisive spirits. 
There's no one trying to dominate someone else. You know, all those human spirits that try to hinder us, that we're serving one another, think of how beautiful that is when we're in consideration of someone else. Now, to get there, we have to be spiritually minded. Amen. And then comes this next facet. It's the emotional state. You know, there's a state of the union and there's the state of our emotions. And this second part is the state of our emotions, the emotional state. I, I wanted to add a little Conan Milner here. Uh, Conan wrote in a very good article in the Epic Times and it was about the emotion of money. And it's sometimes it's difficult for people to um, consider what money is, but there is a, there is a, the, the depth of, of all money uh, lands in this pool of emotions. So you peel off the top layer of, it's not just money, it, there's emotions associated with it. And Milder's assessment leads us to euphoria if someone has some or surprise or as Tammy has called it, mystery money come in. Um, or depression when um, when it doesn't come in either way. There are fears and, you know, people don't have enough money and they're afraid or, or there's resentment or jealousy, uh, all of these emotions. Or maybe you feel a little guilty because you didn't do very well or maybe you didn't keep it or you're, you're angry that you allowed yourself to buy something that you didn't need or you bought it and it wasn't any good and you feel like, what a waste. If you've ever had a speeding violation, um, you know, I always, it's been a long time since I've had a speeding violation, and which means that I just simply have not gotten caught, or I've made enough friends with the police officers in town that they are praying for me as I drive down the road. I, I pray, Lord, let the angels blind the eyes of, of those. And you... You get a speeding ticket and you feel like, I might as well just take that 100 or $200 and just throw it out the window. You know, my dad one time said, you see that little piece of asphalt over there? I said, yes. He said, I bought that a few years ago. <laughs> Money has an emotional attachment to it. There's an emotional attachment to it. That's why people have a difficult time dealing with it or not dealing with it. Because there's an emotion to it. And we don't always recognize the emotion, and, and, and yet there's a lot of issues that, are, that arise in relationships with it. If it's not managed correctly, it can overtake our emotions. Um, and if we're not managing our emotions, uh, it, could, it can drown us in a sea of debt. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life um, are connected with the love of it. But that's not where it ends. The emotional state doesn't end with that. I'm just giving you an example because it is a powerful medium wherein emotions are spent. They're spent on other things too. The human emotion is tied to God because the spirit of God that which we cannot see, moves many times on our emotions. Now, yes, he can move in our thought process, but there's also this movement of our feelings, our heart. And that human emotion is tied to our church, our local church, and to other people, physical things, maybe material things. And so this emotion... Uh, has a state, or there's a state of being in emotion. I did write in your handout, our perception is often shaped by our emotion. We feel loved, so we perceive that we are loved. We, see, we, we feel like there's something offered to us, and so we feel satisfied. And our emotion is the depth, uh, the Bible would, would even call it the heart. Sometimes the Bible called heart and mind. Mind would be the logic, the analytical side of you. The heart would be the emotional side of you. So, there are reasons why people are involved in the church. And many of these reasons um, are connected to the emotional part. Now, the first one is not always emotional, but, but it, 
but it can be, and it's conviction. Everyone say conviction. I'm going to take some time later at some other juncture and talk to you about convictions. Convictions used to be taught um, and promoted when I was a child much more than they are now. Not just the convictions of the person, but the convictions of the church body. There is a conviction of the church body. It's our core belief of what we think should be a boundary or a limitation or what's protocol or right or wrong. Conviction, if you're motivated by conviction, you, you, would, you would say that I'm following the Spirit and the Scripture, the, the Holy Ghost and the Word, whether that's the written Word or the preached Word. It's my conviction. And I like that most of all because it, it, doesn't, it, it does not rely upon the Word of a leader why don't you do that? Because my pastor tells me not to. That's not a conviction. Because leaders can change and thoughts can change, but the word doesn't change. So it should be, this is my conviction because it's in the scripture. There are other things that the Lord can convict you of based upon what he knows is your downfall or, or your limitation or your weakness. And you know, I, no, I, I, I just won't do that because I know if I do this, it'll lead me to a place I cannot recover. I'm not strong in that area. And convictions are important. And yes, they're, they're, they are emotional, but, but I would present to you that, they're, that a conviction is heart and mind. It's emotion and uh, intellect. It's choice. But then there are other things that start to, to bring us into places where we, we, we may not want to be. The emotional part. Fear. Fear. And fear is a strong emotion. I'm only presenting one part of this. It, it, it doesn't do it justice because there's the fear of the Lord. But then there's a, a, a frightened fear. And that fear says if I don't come there's a chance I won't be saved. And so that particular fear is born out of an emotion. And some people only go to a church where the pastor has only a hammer in his toolbox. They need the hammer. They need it. They can't live. They'll never live with me. Because I'm promoting you to have a walk with God. (laughs) Because if you, you got, if you, if you have to have a hammer, you don't have to have a walk with God. You have a walk with the hammer. Now, now other people take advantage of that. Say, well, the pastor never said anything, so I, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. And you'll answer to God. How are we doing? Are we all okay now? You still, you still with me? I feel like I've said this about 20 years ago. And I might have, but I'm, and I, and I, I, di- I didn't write it down, but I, this is what I've been teaching for 20, almost 22 years. We're going to have a walk with God. We're going to have a personal walk with God. I'm going to preach the word and you're going to be responsible for the word, what you hear and what you don't hear. We're responsible for the scripture, whether we read it or don't read it. But I'm not a hammer. Unless the Lord puts a hammer in my hand Sunday, I'll, I'll hit something. But it's not always. And then it's nostalgia. People go to churches because of nostalgia. Please switch your thought from nostalgia to conviction. Well, that's where my mom and dad went. Well, you know, that, that's, where, that's where all my family always went. There are people that, that use funeral homes and, 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 and morticians. And the places are horrible and they're overpriced. But they go there because, well, that's where my grandpa was was taken yes but they're they're twice as much i know it's just it's just where all the family always went really yes okay nostalgia will not carry you and there are people who are nostalgic about pentecost or pentecostalism but they're not pentecostal they just go to pentecostal churches because it's an emotional attachment 
It's emotional attachment. There are people who quit going to churches when the building moves from one place to another because they don't have any relationship with the, with the new altar space. And they said, well, you know, that's not where I, 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 I like going over in that building or I like going over in this city because that's where my babies were dedicated. They weren't dedicated to the Lord. They were connected to a location. This is a problem with us. We get connected to locations. Now, I'm going back to that because you've got to remember, you are the church, the body of Jesus Christ. If an airplane came and, 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 I don't know, lost its fuel lodge, you have to help me, Chad, lost its fuel, and, and this place burned up, we would build another building. Don't get attached to your seat or to this particular place, although it's wonderful, it's dedicated. You are the church. Wherever you go, there's the church. Now, we're thankful to come here, and we need to come here together. But we ought to come, we ought to come together as the body of Jesus Christ. And nostalgia and, and fond memories. Come on, don't, don't you guys... Is it just me? You hear an old song on the radio and you just, you kind of remember, you know, you remember that day, you know, you remember where you were when the Bee Gees were singing Too Much Heaven and your mom said, is that a Christian song? And I said, it has heaven in it. (laughs) Nobody gets too much heaven no more. Okay. I have to sing a little Bee Gees every once in a while. It helps the church body. And my mom was like, you know, what, what is that? I said, well, he's talking about heaven, mom. It's heaven. All right, I don't know what you boys are listening to. Okay. You know, you smell a smell. And it takes you back, you know. And, and nostalgia can overwhelm you until finally you relate God and the working of the Spirit to an emotion and he's not in it and then you take that emotion and you set it up as a godly thing and I'll tell you what it's called it's called Nehushtan the people complained God gave them what they wanted and then they got sick and then the Lord turned to Moses and said make a bronze serpent put it on a pole and lift it up walk everyone who looks on that bronze serpent will be healed And it happened. They looked on that bronze serpent and that was a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. And in fact, in the New Testament, the Bible says, just as Noah lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so also the Son of Man must be lifted up. Man, you talk about a type and shadow. That bronze serpent was the emblem and the symbol of Jesus Christ on the cross. They didn't know it at the time. They just knew when we looked at that thing, we were healed. And 700 years later, they still had that thing. And they treated it like a god. Until the Lord came and said, you, you crushed that, that thing. They called it Nehushtan. They called that bronze serpent Nehushtan. They took the emotion of the healing and they made it into a spiritual God. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. We're moving on. I feel conviction just hit people right now. It just it hit them. Maybe it didn't hit anyone here. It must be the people watching online. They were, they were the ones convicted. Number four is the burden. I love the burden. The burden is good. The church needs help. If I did not help, no one would do the work. It's a burden. This is a good thing. That's an emotion. It's not the same as conviction, but it, it'll pass. But it is really the recognition of the need. You, you see the need. And the emotional state of the church sometimes is helped by people who recognize the burden. I, I would say, I suppose in my case, I'd rather have people have a burden than have nothing. It's, it's good. And then finally, there's guilt. I don't know if it's, if it's just me, but sometimes I will write a card or a letter out of guilt. Has anyone ever been motivated by guilt to do a good thing? I feel guilty, so I'll do it. Um, but that is not a good reason that's not the way. It, that's obligation by way of blame. I feel bad if I'm not there. So the emotional state is, is important for us to judge where we are. And we have to do that 
in ourselves. Now, these things can, can, they can take on their own life depending on the health of individuals. Uh, my good friend Steve Richardson, uh, we were, we were just like brothers and we, we did songwriting, we, we did music together, we, we traveled and when I got married to Tammy, all the three of us went to different places and we had a lot of fun together. But he had diabetes and he'd have emotional swings. If his, if his blood sugar went too low and he was down, sometimes he would be cranky. One time he bent over to tie his shoes and his blood vessels burst in his eyes and they had to extract the blood vessels and put a little air bubble and took six weeks for him to to uh, to see again. He just had peripheral vision. In that time, he had an ulcer in his foot, so he lived with us, and I doctored his foot three times a day, and I, I, I put the gauze and cleaned it with the saline, and, and it was not a good thing, and wrapped him up three times a day. I would do that for him, and sometimes he would, he would have uh, low blood sugar. Sometimes he'd just be cranky, and, and, um, and I learned uh, during those six weeks that he lived with us, uh, the different stages of that emotional swing based upon his, his, uh, his human condition, his body. And that happens in the church too. We, sometimes we come in and we're, we're wounded, we're hurt. Things have happened. Someone, someone feels uh, a loss or there is a health issue. And so... That doesn't mean that the church is in trouble. It just means that that particular person is going through something in their own life. And it's easy for us to look around and say, well, we must be in trouble. I talked to two people and they're really in a bad shape. They're very mad about something. Well, they might be diabetics and they might have a low blood sugar. You should have got them a Snickers. Because that's what I did. I would always bring a Snickers around and have some orange juice for him. And, and, uh, and, and he, he didn't eat right and he didn't eat at the right time and he, you know, near to passing out on the piano, and and we'd always had, if you all remember, we always had a glass of orange juice for him. So when I look at the emotional state of the church, I'm not, I'm trying to make sure that I don't, I don't, that I don't, I don't uh, remove a filter that has to do with health, or position, or marriage trouble. I want to know about the conviction of the church and possibly the burden. And then comes the physical, or is this the actual? The physical. The physical aspect revolves around the doing part of this life, and especially at the church. Part of the body, part of the building. Regardless of feeling or, or even godliness, both are important. Um, the actual cannot be dismissed. Faithful attendance is the basis for any community. We, we have no service without people. And no people equals no church body. That's why it's important for us to manage something. And I'll, I'll get to it at the end, but we have to manage our lives so that we can be part of this body. I ask the, the, a few questions here. Why should we serve? Why, why would we serve? Because serving is not something that you think about, that you feel, it's something that you do. You may not consider it spiritual, but it is actual, it's, it's what you do. Servanthood, of course, was example by Jesus. He came in the form of a servant. Now, to be like Jesus, you must be a servant. And that means doing something. That means to do. Now, you can say, well, pastor, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be. That's fine. But there's a lot of things still to do. I, I love to walk into uh, our, our Compassion Ministries building and, and see some of our elderly mothers there working. And they're doing something. It's a wonderful thing. And I realize that everyone can do something to serve. But in every one of these aspects, whether it's spiritual or maybe even in the emotional part, there is a resistance. And I... I I've put this, I've, I've related this very small uh, insert of resistance because people do resist the serving aspect of it. And they may not serve. But I would just say, wherever you can serve in the church, serve. Here's Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, 
For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. You're not going to do anything when you die. You do it while you're alive. There is a moment when you're not going to be able to do what you can do right now. And if you're not taking advantage of serving, there'll be a day when you have regret. I would just submit to you, don't get to that day when you live in regret because you didn't do anything. And you say, I wish I would have done something while I have the strength. And the beauty of new life is that, is that we have multiple facilities. Anytime that anyone uh, donates some time to the daycare and volunteers, it's like giving a love offering to the church. Anytime you donate time to that ministry, it's like giving a love offering to the church. Because all the benefit of that, that daycare ministry comes to the body. It helps the church. Anytime you dedicate things to one another, you're helping the body because you're building people up. So the resistance happens when, when, when we think, aren't there other people that serve or that's not my job or isn't that someone else's job? One of the things we try in our house, and, and like I said, I'm working on this, is that we do whatever it takes to get the job done. We don't say... Well, it's not my job. We even switch jobs around, chores around, so that everyone has a pretty good grasp on the chore. I don't know how you do it in your home, but if we're washing the dishes or cleaning or sweeping or mowing or folding laundry (laughs) or dusting, whatever that is, we think this way, This is our house, and we've got to take care of it. And and the pushback usually comes from one of them that would say to me, their names will go unmentioned, that's not my job. I did that yesterday, or whatever. And, And this is a problem in the church. Where we think, well, that's not my job, that's not... Hold on a second. This is our church. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual among you, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It doesn't have to have your name on it to fulfill the scripture and obey the scripture. If anyone is overtaken, think that could be me. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to bear your burden. I'm going to fulfill the law of Christ. When we get away from that, we think, well, that's just not my job. I don't know. Well, then if you don't know what to do, then you get into the prayer room. You pray and intercede for that individual. But at least do something. Because the physical or the actual is critical. And we, and we can engage first by serving in the church. And there's... There are many things to serve, many ways to serve in this church. Um, I'm moving into worship, praise and worship. And of course, I'm, I'm combining both of those, and I understand the difference, but I, just for tonight's sake, worship and praise, I'm just bringing them together. Because this is the physical aspect. And there's different styles of worship, I and mean, I don't think everyone has to do the same thing, but there's different styles of praise. And sometimes it's in response to something that you hear, something, some words, some, some song. But why would we sing? Or why would we clap? Why would we worship? I, I want to say to all the people, we want to worship, we want to praise. Not because we enjoyed the rhythm, the beat, or the lyric, but because... The Lord is worthy of our praise. And if you only praise or worship on songs you like, I only pray you have a large repertoire of song selection. Or I'll just sing another BG song to help you. I would say we've got to make sure that we're worshiping for the right way. Sometimes we worship because that's just what we are designed to do. We praise, we give God praise. 
I'll say this many times. Sometimes it's good to come to the altar and worship or when I call for someone who needs the Lord and needs to repent or something. You come not because you're in desperate need of that, but because you know if you come, someone will also come that need that. But when, when, when we call for people to come to the altar, you might say, well, that really doesn't apply to me right now. It's okay. It applies to you because you are a leader, an example. This is the spiritual maturity of the church. You have to do something physically, the physical state of the church. It's not really because you need it, it's because someone else needs to see you take a step. They need to see you put something in the offering. They need to see you with your hands lifted. They need to see men clapping their hands and raising their hands. They need to see ladies worshiping the Lord. They need to see children. Why? Because we are examples among the believers. We worship because it's our responsibility. Because this is what we do around here. I don't know what you do other places. But when you come in here, we praise and we worship the Lord together. That's how we do it. Amen. We clap our hands. We, we say amen. We give. We serve. We love. There's something that we've got to do. We do it. Now, if we don't do it, then the, then the physical state of the church, that physical aspect, then it's failing. Because it can't just be how we feel emotionally inside. We can say, well, you know, I just, I, I, I feel love towards that person. I feel love. Did you tell him? No. I just feel it in my heart. I'm thankful for that person. Did you ever say thank you to them? No, I, but I have the emotion. Great. That doesn't work in a relationship. It does not. It doesn't work in the church. If you are thankful for someone and you love someone, go to them and say, thank you, I love you, I, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I, that goes a long way. But to keep it all bottled up inside doesn't help one another. I even think, if you go back to the spiritually minded person, we're thinking of people and what they're going through, and sometimes we're praying for them, and then we go to them and just say, hey, you've, you've been on my heart, I'm just praying for you, you don't have to tell me anything, it might not be anything, I just want you to know, I've been praying for you. There have been many mornings, I've gotten up at four or five o'clock in the morning praying for people, and I've, I've texted folks, and then sometimes I feel bad, and I'm thinking maybe their, their phone is buzzing, and they feel like they should and and so sometimes i'll just bypass it but i'm praying for them and many times i'll tell you i've been praying for you i've been you've been on my heart that doesn't mean that something bad's going to happen it just means that i know i've got to do something for someone else and i'm not going to keep it to myself we praise and we worship and we clap and we stand and we rejoice. Why? Because it is our privilege and our obligation and we are examples among the believers. Hear me. Fathers, if you want your kids to be worshipers, they need to see you worship. If you want them to fold their arms, do nothing in the church, think that worship is for people who are kind of emotional, you go ahead, sit there and do nothing. But if you want to raise kids that love God, release your emotions and and do something, even if you don't feel emotional, you put your place yourself in a place of worship and it blesses everybody. Amen. They've got to see you. They cannot just look up here and say, Well, they're worship. What about mom and dad? Where did mom and dad go? Where did where did mom and dad go? Are they worshipers? Are, are they shouters? Are they praise? Do they pray? Do they kneel? When was the last time you kneeled at an altar and said, I need you, God? Not because you're in trouble. Do we only pray when we're in trouble? I know one man who cried and prayed when he lost his job. He prayed. He cried. It was three weeks. And I mean, it was, it was amazing, the transformation. But when he got the new job, I never saw him do the same thing again. It was better when he was on unemployment. <laughs> so pardon me. I may not pray that you get a better job. I like you just the way you are. Poor and praising. Praying and pitiful. You look great to me. 
Because the moment you get everything you want, that's the moment you decide you've got it all together and you don't need God, you don't need the altar, you got no relationship with hungry for, you're not hungry for God anymore, you're satisfied with where you are. Hear me, if God gave you anything and you've got it still in your hands, you ought to be the one thanking God and praising God. The actual should be now. And pardon me a little bit if I get, if I get kind of excited about that and I'm, I get kind of turned up because I know we, we can spend a lot of time trying to gather the people into a spirit of worship. We ought not do that. If you know the Lord, you've been serving God, it's not up to the praise team and our minister of music and his beautiful wife to lead us into and try to get us going. We're already going. We should already be praising because you got up today and you got to the house of God and he gave us a building and he gave you life and breath and the Holy Ghost. That's not just, it's not always an emotional response. I've come to church and I didn't feel emotional. Say it ain't so, pastor. That's right. I've come to church and I didn't feel spiritual and I didn't have an emotional attachment and I didn't feel good and I had a fever and I was sick. I was not feeling good about life. And I had problems. And the Lord gave me a word and I had to preach the word. And I didn't do it because I had a love for what I was doing at the time. I had obedience. And obedience carried me through until I found my passion and my love again. And you may not have known the difference because I'd rather be obedient to God than only have an emotional relationship and when things are good, I'm up. And things are down, I'm out. No, no, no. I'm going to be obedient to the Word and obedient to the Spirit. And I'm going to do it over and over and over and over again. Listen, you may not like your job. You may not like your job that you're going to go to tomorrow, but you're going to like the paycheck at the end and you're not going to like the consequences of not having a job. So you get up. And you go to the same thing, and you deal with the same people, and the same trouble, but you're going to go there. Why don't you come into the house and say, hey, listen, pastor, I may not feel real good today. I got low blood sugar. My kids are a wreck. My car is all messing up, but I'm coming in to praise the Lord. I'm going to clap even if there's no tears. I'm going to worship even if there's no... Why? I'm going to command my body to be a worshiper and a praiser. This is how we do it around here. We're going to praise God. We're going to do something here. Amen. And finally, and finally, I, 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 I submit that we give. It's not just money. It's not just money. Giving is not just about money. In fact, I would think that people would sometimes would rather give money than give time. Sometimes money can be a cheap way out. Time is much, much different. And I often say this, time is a commodity that you cannot replace. You can't go back five minutes ago or five years ago or you can't do it. Time. God wants your time. I submit to you that the first fruit was always the first 10% of what you make. That's what the Bible presented. Honor the Lord with your first fruit, the Bible says. That's my tithing. That's 10% of my gross, not my net. I don't wait for the government to decide what they're going to take and then, okay, God, here's what's left over. No. It's the first fruit. Even if they take, (laughs) I'm going back, wait, before they took it without my permission. (laughs) That's right. Now I'm going to give God my first fruit, and then I'm going to give God my offerings. I'm honoring God with my first fruit. Well, what is your first fruit in life? You see, this is one of the reasons why Sunday is an important day, because it's the first day of the week, and we honor God with our time. How about the first fruit of our time? What would that look like? In 24 hours, that means that you would give God two hours and 40 minutes of every day. But pastor... I'm not awake 24 hours a day. Okay, so I brought it down to 16 hours. That means you give God one hour and 36 minutes of every day. 
Some of you say, well, I sleep in a lot. <laughs> okay. How about the first fruit of your time? With your Bible, with your prayer, with writing a letter of encouragement, with calling someone on the phone. What about the first fruit of your day? Surely Sunday cannot be, and Wednesday cannot be the only times that we give to study, learn, hear the word, and sing. We've got to be careful that we manage that. Because we've got to give of our time. And then, of course, we should give of our monies. Because when we do that, we're recognizing that all of it comes from God. And that he's in control. It's important for you to command what you have in your hand. It actually provides a constraint for your life. When you're giving God your tithing and your offering. And then beyond that is your abilities or your talents. And there are times when we have to hire someone to work on an air conditioner or some specialist to work on something around the church. But if you are a plumber, you have to, you have to offer your talent without payment or remuneration. In fact, let me just tell you how New Life got here. We came to be because everyone volunteered their abilities and their talents. We didn't pay for everything. We couldn't afford everything. So we painted and we cleaned and we repaired and we offered our abilities and our talents. Now, I know it might look a little different now, but if we'll just follow the same principle, these foundational principles, we'll be able to go to the next level and not only be able to build a new sanctuary, but then we'll be able to continue to support missionaries beyond this. Because remember, we're about the kingdom. We're the church inside the kingdom. And kingdom, spiritually minded people think we got to reserve something for, for those beyond us. And this is critical for us. It's critical at this point. Now, I grew up in a little church. My, my dad had a, I think, I think the church might have gotten up to 140 one time, but usually it was about 50 to 80 people. And it was a country church and, and Scotty and Dane and I, we, we had a wonderful time there. We loved the Lord. We, you know, we lived in the church basement for two years. The water was sulfur water. We took our baths in the sink until dad built a little house next to the church. And, and my grandfather, uh, my grandfather had, had, he had a garden and he had a cow, he had chickens and he was a butcher. And, and we, we did that. We, we had well water and we had garden and we had, we had meat from, from grandpa. Um, uh, today that's called organic. When I was growing up, that was called poor. Uh, and and we 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 didn't have all the stuff we had hand me down clothes we didn't know we didn't know we were poor because mom and dad never told us we were poor they didn't say we were poor so I woke up and figured it out we were poor one day I figured out I think we're poor and 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 I say that often because I can remember being in that little church and all of us we would work and different families would come on Saturdays and clean the church we would have our time to clean the church and we would we would pick up all the things that were in the church we had long revivals sometimes dad would give us a Monday night off. We'd have long church revivals, three or four, five, six week revivals. People would come out in the snow. Dad never canceled. Of course, we didn't have a phone tree. We had rotary dial phones. We didn't have all the stuff. And so he just always had the church open. We lived next to the church. So we would go up and sometimes it was, it was, it was Scotty on the organ and me on the drums and Dana was singing in the microphone and dad would preach and mom would play the piano. It was just us. That's it. Us five. We would have church and two feet of snow. We would have church. Didn't matter. We were there because we were hoping that somebody might come and sometimes people came and we didn't know them and we had wonderful church services but we did whatever we had to do to get the job done because we didn't have any other resources we didn't have any fallback we didn't have health insurance so my mother would always fix food for Dr. Mogerman and love Dr. Mogerman he would service our family sometimes but but that was only when we were very sick all we had was prayer we had no fallback resources that's it we had nothing and the idea now that we're going to be specialists, it concerns me. It concerns me. Wait, this is our church. This is our body. First, let's pray and then let's give and let's have some physical aspect to the body. This is our church. And if we get, if we get so specialized, 
then we think we're going to hire someone to do that job. No, we don't. No, we're not going to hire someone to do that job. This is our, this is our life. This is your life. And so I, I talk about the physical aspect of the church and we're grateful because that is the mode of operation that we are volunteers and we give of our time, of our money, of our abilities to the house of God. Amen. If the Lord gives us a great revival, which I'm praying for, and there are thousands of people, I don't want to change the principles that brought us to this point. Amen. We're going to keep the principles. And then when I die, or the Lord calls me to a ministry in Honolulu, then the next pastor can hire all those people. But right now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to love everybody. We're going to give of our time, our abilities, our efforts, our energies, and our finances. And we're going to work on the kingdom. We're going to give in the building and for outside of the building. That's what we're going to do. Amen. Praise God. And everybody said amen. Amen. Please stand with me now if you will. And let's pray that the Lord will help us to retain these principles. Father, I thank you for your word and for the precious people that have joined together. I thank you for this body of believers that you put at this time in this city, in this place. Help us to be united in spirit, passion, love. I pray, Lord, that we would be spiritually minded people. I pray, Lord, that we would be emotionally healthy and let there be action in the church and let there be the physical giving of ourselves. I pray for that in Jesus' name. And all the people said amen.